doesn't mean that we can sin in his presence because, again, we know that in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, God's eyes are so pure, he cannot even look upon sin. He cannot. And that is why, obviously, when Jesus Christ was dealing, number one, in propitiation with the sin question of the world, and this is John 1 and verse 29, and this is, of course, as we have been taught, this is Genesis uh, chapter 22 and verse 8, where God would have to be propitiated, and for him, first, obviously, for the whole sin question, he had to be propitiated, so, and that's what the son was, God would provide himself a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. That lamb, that in Revelations 13 and verse 8, was slain before the foundation of the earth, and in terms of propitiation, so that God could offer his son as a substitute for whosoever would receive him and thus be reconciled. And we must always remember, God never had to be reconciled to a man. He had to be propitiated. Man had to be reconciled. And of course, we know Christ is the substitute, whereby we, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are thus reconciled to him. And then experientially, as we grow in the position that we are in Christ, of course, that's when God, the Holy Spirit, takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, and he shows them unto us as we submit to them and, and live in the obedience that only grace can give to those that are humbled in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 and in James 4 and verse 6. So we see this very, very, very clearly that we can only know how evil sin is because the only one that knows how evil it is is God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when we function in him through obedience, with the will submitted, with our will submitted to him, then, then, and then, and only then, do we understand evil in that sense. Now, David, under the Holy Spirit teaching David, he made this confession, and this is what his confession was, in Psalm 51 and verse 4, he said, he said that I sinned and did this evil in your sight. See? So what is sin? In any form, what is it? Any form whatsoever. It's evil. Any, any form of sin. And there are many categories of it, but the reality is, is anything outside of Christ anything outside of the purity of who he is that we would function in would have to be called sin, and sin is evil. And that's why when Jesus, he said to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, and verse 17, said it in Mark 10 and verse 18, he said it in Luke 18 and verse 19, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? And what was that young man? How was he reckoning what good was? Was he doing that in himself, in his fallen nature? And we know, of course, that he was. Because in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, 
They call evil good and good evil. That's what we do when we function outside of God's presence. We make all these excuses in John 15 and verse 22 because Christ has done away with every quirk, every excuse. So in Isaiah 5 and verse 20, they call evil good and good evil. They put light for darkness, darkness for light, and they put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. The reason is because in Isaiah 8 and verse 20, the light of Christ who is, and we are positioned in him, but when we don't submit to him, what do we do? Because there's no light in us. See, because God cannot fellowship with us. His love doesn't change, but he cannot fellowship with us when we live in sin. And sin cannot be in his presence, again, because in his presence, there's the fullness of joy, and that's the absence of evil. And, and we see that in Psalm 16, verse 11. And that's why the psalmist again said in 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord before my face, meaning I'm facing him. I'm facing him. And as he deals with us, and that's what he does, God does deal with us. In our growth in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, and as we have said before many times, and we have been taught when I say we have said, I'm just simply saying that I, with all of us, have been taught by God, the Holy Spirit, who takes the things of Christ and shows them unto us, that many times the first step of grace is loving chastisement. This is Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, and this is, again, goes into Hebrews, the 12th chapter. You can see how it flows in those 29 verses, which it does go into this chastisement, this loving chastisement where God begins to shake us, shake us from what has become attached to us that's not of Christ. And if it's not of Christ, and if it's not good, and good is God's nature in Exodus 34 and verse 6, then if it's, if it's not good, then what is, what is it that has attached itself to us? It's evil. Are we evil in our position? No. But can I, be, can I experience evil in my experience? Yes. Yes. We can. And that's when God comes in with his loving chastisement to separate us from that. That is the conviction of his love. You know, the conviction of God's love is his loving chastisement. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. God lovingly, he lovingly, lovingly convinces us, convicts us, chastises us so that we stop living in condemnation, the condemnation of the world system under Satan. And that's all that we can live in experientially when we don't experience our position in Christ through God's plan that's designed to humble us. That's what his plan is designed to do because that's who God gives grace to. Who does he give grace to? Well, he desires to give it first and foremost to those that are his, to those actually that he now is in ownership of in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Oh, if we only could understand that we do not own ourselves or a thing, nothing. We can take credit for nothing. Because without Christ, in John 15 and verse 5, without Christ, we can do what? We can do nothing. And if we do nothing, 
that's good, then what do we do? Do we just stay neutral? No. We function ignorantly or rebelliously or stubbornly in 1 Samuel 15, uh, verse 23. We do it ignorantly or stubbornly, rebelliously or stubbornly. And thank God, God can do away with ignorance. He can. When we come and make ourselves available, <laughs> like this morning, like this morning, come and hear the word. <laughs> Set time aside an hour of the day ooh, to hear the word of God and to not put one single thing ahead of it. And to not allow the enemy to use, to use a single cloak or excuse as the reasons why we can't do it. Especially in the times that we're living in. Oh, how God desires to prepare us. Oh, boy. For his love, yes. But for what is coming and is already here so evidently, unless our heads are in the sand, living in the world, and that's what I mean, living in the world system, like everything is going to be the same every other day. It's just all going to be the same. Check church history to see when God would deal in judgment with the earth if everything remained the same. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. You have more time. God does not give any of us grace to live in sin. Never. Ever. Ever. Okay? And sin is disobedience. That's what sin is. It's disobedience. And so in James 4 and verse 17, to know to do good, come and submit to the good that, that Christ has to, to offer us experientially based upon our position, but to him to know that knows to do good here at time and time and time again. What are you putting ahead of the word of God? What are you putting ahead of hearing the word of God? Have we missed Revelations chapters 2 and 3 that was reading, written for our admonition, our correction, our instruction, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to us? Do we hear that? Or are we so busy, in Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, we are so busy with the riches and material things and details of life and our plan, writing on our plan without being in the pen in God's hand to write it, All our schedule, it all has to do with the details and material things of life. And we become rich and don't realize experientially. And they were born again. They were the church. That was the church of Laodicea. That's what it was, the church. That's the, the spirit right now. Unfortunately, unfortunately, now, especially in this country in America, without any question about it. I'm talking about the, the, the church. That's what it's talking about in Revelation 3, 14 to 22. Jesus, again, is knocking on the door the will of believers to hear the word. And how many hear it? How many actually do? 
set aside the time and them, oh, it's too early. It's too early for me. I mean, it's too early for God. Have we ever read the scripture? Have you ever read Proverbs 8, 17? I love them that love me and those that seek me early will find me. Start your day with Christ first. Put him ahead of everything. Seeing as how he's the head of the body of which we are, we're his body, flesh, and bones in Ephesians 5 and verse 30. He's the head, Colossians 1.18. But do we put aside the head, thinking right with the scriptures, the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16? Do we put it aside in Colossians 2 and verse 19? Well, this is just how I, this is just how my makeup is. It's too early in the morning, is it? Is it? Wow. Unbelievable. And this is very convicting to me and to all of us. And not only is it seeking him early in terms of the morning, because if you read, read the Psalms, read the type, all the type about the manna, they had to, they had to get up early in the morning and get it. That's what they had to do. That's what they had to do. Here, I'm going to read a scripture here. And this is what I want to make very, very clear. Very clear to, to us. As God makes it clear to me with you and, and you with me. And we will just look here and see. This is Psalm 127. And I'm going to read in verse 1. And I'm going to read, follow it through. Here, this is Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house. Are we his house? Unless the Lord edifies and builds up his house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, guards us. He's our guide unto the death. He is. And he does so through the word being preached through those that he's raised up to do it through. And we see that in Hebrews 13, 7 and Hebrews 13, 17. And in Psalm 48 and verse 14, he's our guide until our death, meaning our eternal meeting face to face with him. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. What does that mean to be awake in vain? Doing other things without him? Without him being first, first. Does God just want first place? We've said, and we've been taught this before. We don't give God first place. He has that by virtue of who he is. He wants every place. That means every place of the known word and obedience. That's what it talks about. Can't say it enough. Cannot say it enough. Can't say it enough. It is vain for you to rise up early and to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives his beloved even in his sleep. That's what's talking about discipline. That's discipline. Being prepared to hear the word of God. Being prepared to hear it. Well, how do we hear it? How do we hear it? Do I skip God's order? What is God's order? Read Revelations 2 and 3. It's local assemblies. No, I can, nah, I can sleep in. 
I can hear it later. Or I can just read my devotional and I can get something out of it. Well, okay. Okay. But I know and I'm learning what God's order is with you. And God does all things, not some things, not by our own choice. He does all things decently and in order in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 4. Because otherwise we live in confusion. Constantly mixing the details of life, putting them first. Then when I think I need help in my details, I call on him. Oh, boy. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom. And even that, of course, the kingdom is God's rule. Is God ruling us through Christ right now as our head in the church? Yeah. You see, those were the, this is the Laodicean age. They had so much. They, they thought they had so much material things and schedules and all. They didn't know they were poor, blind, and naked experientially. They were born again. And when he was knocking on the door, Jesus was, he was standing, knocking on the door in Revelation 3.20. Listen, that is not a salvation verse. They're the church. You're born again. They're positioned in Christ, but they're not experiencing him. And he's knocking at the door. He doesn't force his way in. He doesn't violate the will. He comes in through the submission of the will to come and hear the word of God. To hear it. To hear the word of God. It is very interesting. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. See, they were so busy being rich and with the details of life. Christians living like the world. Living. Their view was not vertical. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind, your whole thinking, you know, on things above. And Christ is sitting there at the right hand, Psalm 110 and verse 1. Not on things of the earth. But what do we put first? When I wake up in the morning, what is my thought? Things of the earth? Oh, boy. I'm going to read a few more scriptures here and uh, let the word speak for it, for us, and I'll do that with you. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and, and verse 1. Now as to the times and the epochs, the periods of time, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, everything's the same, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Now this does not have to do with us in Christ, even though we may live like that and, and believe and, and function under these same fears. But, but for us, there is no fear in love. In 1 John 4, verse 18, in God in 2 Timothy 1, 7, has not given us a spirit of fear, but when I live like the world does, that's what I live in. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, timidity, cowardice. Luke 18, 1, 
Men should always pray and not faint, turn coward. Men should always lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. Men, men, initiators. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. Well, and they will not escape. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. What's that mean? You remember what Jesus said in his high priestly prayers? He's facing the cross, having already, already finished the work, but going there to, to reveal it in John 19 and verse 30. He said in John 17 and verse 14, I am not of the world. I don't live like the world. Details of life, finances, money, what we're going to do, how, what kind of fun time we're going to have, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. No, he said, I'm not of the world. And neither are those that are in me of the world in John 17 and verse 16. And that's why he said in First John 2 and verse 15, love not the world. He's talking to believers there. The context is 1 John chapter 2, 1, all the way to verse 15. Love not the world. As a Christian, like the Laodiceans, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not an operating principle in him. And these are the things that are in the world, the enemy. <laughs> He can't change the position of the Christian, but sure, he sure wants to mock God and mock him by getting him to love the world. And what are they? The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. These things aren't of, of God. They're not of God. And all that is of, not of God's will, which is Christ, us in Christ, who finished the will, did the, uh, did the work and finished the will in John 4 and verse 34, fulfilling the prophecies of Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8, and bringing out the beauty of that in Hebrews 10th chapter, and, 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 and those, especially those first 14 verses there. And he that does the will submits it, doesn't pass away, but this world system's on its way to passing away. When, when are we going to see that? All of us together as believers in Christ. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light. Christ, our light. And sons of day, we are not of the night. We don't function like the world in darkness, even though Christ's physical absence is not here, but he is the light that dawns in us that keeps us from living in the darkness like the world system. <clears throat> Nor of darkness, it says, verse 6. So then, oh boy, I wish we'd get this one straight this morning, make it loud and clear. So then let us not sleep. Time to wake up and hear the word and be disciplined. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who listen, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night. What's that mean? 
Well, for a Christian, his light, the light of his love and the, and the love of his light is not functioning in me and I live like the world. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night. And you know what else? Listen, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Now that, of course, can be alcohol, obviously. You know, in Proverbs 20, verse 1, Proverbs 23, and verse 31, and the back at 2 and verse 15. Those are the scriptures that deal with, with being intoxicated with the scriptures. And it means far more than just what some believe in Ephesians 5 and verse 18, where it says, be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess means really functioning under the atmosphere. And a lot of Christians do because they do imbibe alcohol and they come under the influence of the atmosphere. And God forbid that we do. But those that get drunk, that the, you, you don't have to imbibe alcohol to come under the influence of the atmosphere. You just have to live like the world. Because that's what that's talking about. That's what that's like. They have no proper sense. The light hasn't dawned. The light hasn't dawned in Christians that are positioned in Christ. That's 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. And 19, too. We have a more certain word of prophecy because we have the day star and light dawns on us. Then through the light, we walk through darkness. We don't sit and sit in darkness and live like the world does and make our plans. We have our plan. You know, no, 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 no. God's plans designed to do one thing to us. It's to humble us. Yeah. He knows the plans that he has for us. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 they are for peace and not evil. You think we're going to get peace by living in the world? Getting material things? Material things going to give us peace? Never. Christ is our peace. In Ephesians 2 and verse 14, and he's that peace that guards us like a sentinel. That peace, that Greek word, E-I-R-E-N-E, -E, in Philippians 4 and verse 7, that peace that guards us when the storms come, and they're going to come, and they're coming to this country, America, they're coming. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, God forbid that, that we build on anything other than Christ our foundation. We need to be careful about that. And for, in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 11, be very careful how we think we're building, and then it better be the foundation of Christ and not material things, and living like the world does. Silly nonsense, and being so tired, can't get up and hear the word. Verse 8, verse Thessalonians 5. But since we are of the day, and we are. Who's the day star? Christ. Since we are of the day, let us be sober. Let us think clearly through the word. Well, how can I do that if I didn't come? Do I choose when I should hear the word? Really? Do I choose or does God choose it? Well, he's chosen it through the function of a local assembly. That's how he does it today, folks. That's how he does it. Well, let us, since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, 
dependence and love. And as a helmet, mindset, the hope of salvation. You know why? Because God has not destined us for wrath, like some will teach. Like we have to go through the tribulation period because Christ didn't do enough. Yeah, he finished it in John 19.30. That's what he said in 4.34. That's what the Father and Son were doing in John 5 and verse 19, of course, with the Holy Spirit. And accomplishing it. To bring it out. But Christ had to bring out the eternal mind of God. You can make no mistake about it. The work was finished from before the foundation of the earth in Hebrews 4 and verse 3. But Christ had to come and actually fulfill all those types as the great anti-type. Let's not just pick and choose what we like about the word and what we don't like about it. What we think is a great message and others aren't so great. No, Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. And to them that think that way, in Titus 1.15, not with a defiled conscience, he's a shield to them. He's a shield. Studying about the shield this morning in Psalm 92 and verse 10. Ephesians 6 and verse 16. And Isaiah 21 and verse 5. Studying about an what it means to anoint the shield. How many Christians, they're too busy or too tired, can't come and hear the word of God. Are they anointing the shield? The Holy Spirit, taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us. Even when others have opportunity to do so, still not doing it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Faith and love is a helmet. Helmet. For God has not destined us for wrath. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.10. That's the Greek word in Revelation 3 and verse 10. The Greek word there is ek, out of, dealing with the wrath in John 3 and verse 36. The word is not dia, through. Get that one straight. But for obtaining salvation, this is experiential too. Position, but experiential through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Who died for us? Listen to this. Boy, he's been making this clear. Dealing with me so personally in the conviction and intensity of his love with chastisement and discipline. No question about it. Listen, Christians, who died for us? His great love that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. Hopefully, just as, and we all, and I believe, just as we all are continuing to do, because the time is short. Now I'm going to just read this last one and we'll close this morning. Now I'm going to read 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. You can read it right up to this verse that where we're going to get to. You can, you can read the first 14 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but here's verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Oh, I hope so experientially. And he only does so when we submit to him in known obedience. 
Not delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I used to love the times in the past. I used to love the times in the past when, when, when I had the opportunity and God made it available for me to get up early. And there'd be 40 and 50 men, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, 40 and 50 men up early with schedules, with work, men and women too, with schedules and work, up early, listening to the word of God for an hour. And then coming out and not even leaving, asking the questions about the hungry, thirsting for God's righteousness experientially. Well, for the love of Christ controls us. My God, if it doesn't, what else does? Having concluded this, that one died for all. Did he? Yeah. This never says he paid for the sins of everyone. You will see that in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, especially in 1 John 2, 2. He's a propitiation for our sins. Doesn't say all. It says for our sins. And also for the world, because it doesn't say for the sins of the world in the Koine Greek New Testament. It's left out. So to include that interpolation, which doesn't belong there, is a lie and false teaching. Some would say if you don't include that, then they'll call that they, what they say is Calvinism. That's not Calvinism at all. Okay? It was God's will that we would be saved. And when our will met his will, not violating our will, when our will met his will, we were, we were saved. And that's not Calvinism at all. And God wants to make that crystal clear to us this morning. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. All were dead. God considered all to be dead. Read Romans, the fifth chapter, verses 12, especially through 19, but what we can have in 20 and 21. And he died for all. See, that's propitiation. He died for all. Now listen, so that they who live, do all live? Why do Christians live like they're separated from God? Because they put everything else ahead of him. Everything else ahead of Christ. They're living for themselves. How do we do that? In the flesh. That's how. That's how all of us do it. Outside of his love controlling us. Well, he died for all. So that they who live might not, might no longer live for themselves. But, Here's the contrasting conjunction. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf, whose behalf? Those that are, have life in Christ in Colossians 3 and verse 4. That's who. That's who. How do we live our life? Do we do it just like, are we living just like the world, the unsaved world? Putting every other thing ahead of God and his word? When I have the opportunity to have it, 
in abundance like God so graciously gives to me and to all of us, all of us so graciously gives to us. Now, when I do know that, and God's love does control me, even when the Christians live like the world, like they're dead, dead, separated from him, separated from his experiential controlling love, Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. You know what that means? That means even potentially for the unsaved, we can recognize them. Because, why? To give them the opportunity to tell them that God's been propitiated. And if you believe that and receive that, then you can receive Christ as your substitute who, paid, who will pay for your sins. And you won't have to, like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you won't have to die in your sins, plural, John 8, 21, John 8, verse 24. You won't have to die in your sins and have them to be brought up again, your works. Revelations 20, 11 to 15, your works. Judged by your works and not the finished work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according or after the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Oh, God. How do we know him according? <laughs> Make him less than who he is. Make him less than who he is right now. Is he sovereign and above everything? I don't know. Is he sovereign and above my schedule? My plans? What I want to do? I oh, oh boy, and God is teaching me, me personally, and showing me these things. Even though we have known Christ according to his humanity, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Christ had a human nature. He never had a sin nature. This means we don't see him as a little baby in a manger. He's the risen, glorified God-man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Master. That's how we see him as the head. Him who has done everything, everything to gain every area of our life. God wants more than first place. He has that by virtue of who he is, Christ does. He just wants every place in our life. And every place he does not, have his loving control and intimate love for us, then the flesh takes over. And that is Revelations 3, 14 to 22. And I'm going to read with that and we'll stop this morning. And this is God's love for us. He loves us. There's absolutely no question about it. He loves us. And he's not going to be satisfied with us living in the flesh. And that's where the enemy, when we do live that way, he can bring in all kinds of fear, doubt, worry, and all these other ridiculous things in us. He can bring them all to the forefront when his love is not controlling us. When it's not controlling us, boy, what are we like? What are we like when his love doesn't control us? If love is not controlling me experientially, then what do we suppose is controlling us? It's called the lust of the flesh. 1 John 2.16, Galatians 3, 
uh, Genesis 3 and verse 6. That's what's controlling us. Now, either one or the other will do that. And here we have this, and we will read this here. In Galatians chapter 5, you can read it down through. And But I'll start in verse 16, but you can see those first 15 verses. Okay, and when, he, and when he's talking about it in the 15th verse, he's talking to Christians, by the way, not to bite and devour one another. Very interesting. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Very interesting. For the flesh sets its, its desires against the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, from revealing the things of Christ to us, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, that you desire to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The law is not just the Ten Commandments. The law is the law of the Spirit of, of uh, sin and death. And that's in Romans 8, verses 2 and 3. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Can these be manifested in a believer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Which are immorality, impurity sensuality. Some think sensuality is just sexual sins. Well, it is that. There's no doubt about that. But it's living in the natural man. This is brought out in James chapter 3 and verse 15, and it's brought out in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Sorcery, Come, coming under the influence of the atmosphere. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger. Isn't that interesting? And those can be inbursts too, by the way. <laughs> Disputes, <sighs> disputing. Instead of receiving the word, just giving all kinds of excuses and disputing it and murmuring. Philippians 2 and verse 14, and the murmuring stops the flow of the experiential life that we have in Christ in Philippians 2 and 12 and 13 from being worked out in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Dissensions, factions, envyings, <laughs> drunkenness. Christians, men, women, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice, now notice, practice, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 